Thank you for tuning in to the How We Interview podcast. In this episode, I spoke to Jeremy Lyons. Uh, if you've been on LinkedIn, it, you can't miss him. He's a founder of the Rec Ops Collective. He's a writer. He's a speaker. Uh, he's not only a really good at what he does in the TA space and Rec Ops specifically, but he's also very well spoken and really is pushing a lot of incredible content uh, to kind of create more visibility and, and more structure around what rec ops truly means what it is and what it isn't really enjoyed my conversation with jeremy i know you will as well thank you thank you for tuning in, everyone to the how we interview podcast uh, today i've got jeremy lyons jeremy is the founder of the rec ops collective he's also a speaker and a writer you've been on linkedin uh anytime in the last six months it, it, jeremy is is he is he is inevitable. He is he is Thanos. He is everywhere, uh, and and he produces so much great content. Um, Jeremy, thank you for joining today. I, I would love it if you could if you could like spend some time walking through your background and also talk about Rec Ops Collective. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me on here, Aaron. I think you are the first person who has ever referred to me as Thanos. Um, I will both take that as a compliment and uh, and also very much worry about my readership and how they might view me from here on out. But yeah, so name is Jeremy Lyons. I have been in the recruiting operations space for six plus years. Uh, for me personally, I am second generation recruiter. Uh, I My mother was an executive recruiter as well. So I discovered recruiting operations and recruiting probably different than most people. Uh, Rec Ops Collective. So I started Rec Ops Collective around this time last year. We've been around for about a year. Uh, one of the big, we do kind of a couple of different things. Um, one of the directions I've sort of helped take it is we are sort of like a Yelp for uh, recruiting operations uh, in that we we can do our own, we can help companies develop their data, their programs, their all their rec ops pieces, you know, just short of actually doing the full-blown recruiting for them. Um, but in situations where, you know, maybe they want a little bit of extra stuff, or maybe we we can't provide the level of anything that they want, we maintain a, a network of folks that we screen, that we talk to, that we know, we trust, we verify, um, that we can send people to and sort of say, hey, you know what, look, I might not be able to do this. This might not be in my skill house, but I know the person who's really, really good at it. So here's the person you should talk to. Here's what their rates are. That's great. On the other side, and this is the side that I most people probably know me for, is uh, our content. And our content arm is sort of the player's tribune of Rec Ops. It is Rec Ops content written by Rec Ops people for Rec Ops people. Um, so we launched a Discovering Rec Ops series, which is how people discover Rec Ops and, and get into doing it because Rec Ops is a multidisciplinary field. People come in as data analysts, people come in as uh, business operations folks, everybody can come in and really make an impact. Um, and it's just figuring out, you know, what side. So we, I try to make it as accessible. The other thing too is I, I we put out a weekly newsletter where I focus very specifically on Rec Ops content so that people aren't sort of going through that recipe reading where you're reading an article and it's 90% the backstory and 10% of the action, or you're reading the article and you're like, this is not Rec Ops at all. This is really more about people analytics or recruiting analytics or recruiting programs. And so I, I keep a very narrow, very stringent focus uh, there. 
uh, for for Rec Ops Collective and for uh, our fifteen almost fifteen hundred subscribers um, in the space. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you know, if I don't say it, and I'll probably say it three times during our discussion. Thank you, thank you for your the service you provide provide the community because I think a lot of folks do Rec Ops and don't even realize that's what it is, right? Uh, I didn't realize I was doing Rec Ops till somebody called me that two years ago. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, like, what is that? And, and so um, you bringing that to the surface, I, I feel like it's it's elevating the role. That's also creating some consistent nomenclature for kind of what those collection of different programs are. Yeah, well, and I think that that's, that's part of the reason why I do it. Um, and it started a couple of years ago, I think. What's what's funny is that James Colino writes uh, his Rec Ops book. And I think maybe like a week, week and a half before that thing was published and is really kind of an important read in our space. Um, shout out to, to him. He's a fantastic person to talk to. Um, I, wa- I had done a whole article about what is Rec Ops. Um, and how do you structure your rec ops teams? How do you build these teams? But I think to your point, rec ops is still newish. Um, it's 10 to 15 years old in, in a broader sense of it. Um, we're in kind of wave two of, of rec ops professionals. And that alone has kind of made it uh, sort of an interesting thing because now it's become more popular. And especially as the tools come out, it's become more popular. and People are still trying to figure out how do we really assess rec ops? Who do we bring to an interview with rec ops people? What are we covering? How are we defining our local nomenclature to, 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 and verbiage to ask questions uh, to really suss out a good recruiting operations person? And then I think the other thing that makes it a little tough sometimes is, you know, how do we bring it into the light? Because recruiting is so, recruiters are very front of the house. And when you go to a restaurant, you're oftentimes dealing with the the wait staff and the people in front of you. You don't often criticize the chef behind the scenes because you're not watching the chef cook, unless maybe you're at a sushi restaurant. Uh, uh, thing in front of you and you, 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 you're kind of looking at, or maybe you're mad at your Chipotle person because they, <laughs> they, they skimped on meat and gave you too much rice and, or too many beans and you wanted more meat, not rice that day, whatever it is. But you don't often see the work that's happening behind the scenes or the conversations that are happening behind the scenes. And I think that's something else that's there is that especially the recruiting ops people who came out of being a coordinator, we've always seen we've had to advocate for our candidates and we've had to build processes or push people in directions that help them see like, okay, actually this is the right candidate or we are doing the right things for our candidates. And that's stuff that's hidden behind the veil. And that's something that I think is really hard for people to design interviews for and do the assess it in in ways that make sense to and and to assess it. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Um, so if you're a director of talent acquisition at a decent sized company and you've got all these different program managers reporting to you and they run UR and data and analytics and enablement and all these different things, 
what are some red flags that you could see your symptoms of kind of a broken process where maybe they need to kind of pull these folks up all together under a rec ops leader? So I think one of the big things, so I think before we even dive into that, I think it's important to actually define what rec ops is, where rec ops sits, things that rec ops does, uh, because I think to a lot of people, rec ops sometimes is magic and magnets. And it's like, I don't know how they wanted, how they did it. I wish I knew how they did it, but I know that if I ask them, give me the really nitty gritty in the weeds thing, I'm going to be lost five minutes in this conversation because they're going to start talking about, well, you know, I pulled this data source and I used this formula here and then I pulled this other data source. So I think before we even dive into that, it's important to understand it. And I think um, Laura Lee, uh, and I, Laura Lee's at, at, at Ashby and, and Shannon Ogborn at Ashby. We've we've all had conversations about this. I've had conversations about this with with other people in the space who are fantastic. We've all kind of settled on a couple of different categories, and it's really the common scope is ops, programs and initiatives, analytics and reporting, employment branding, strategy, um, and ops. The ops umbrella can cover systems and tools process improvements, change management, documentation, those things, and coordination. Um, so I think that that's important to cover. Getting into the heart of your question, what do I see as sort of a broken process when you have that? Scope creep. Uh, because when you have, the point of your recruiting operations team is to make your team efficient and make it sometimes even ruthlessly so. And you're not looking for waste in any place. I think one of the big things, especially uh, Jim Miller has talked about this in numerous places, is recruiting is there to reduce waste. And waste in the form of inefficient time usage and cost. Because all of those things add up. And it's where recruiting can show value. And RecOps shows value to our partners in the business by making them more efficient and getting better signals and, and things that they're doing. So when you have two people on your team who have similar kind of pillars and are seemingly overlapping in like what they're doing, that's inefficient. You can still have those two things exist, but have those people communicate very, very clearly about, okay, you're in data, I'm in systems, you need me to operate, but I need you to tell me when the system isn't showing you what you think you're supposed to be seeing. So give me that data point and what's built back. So like, let's talk about rejection reasons because you might be seeing, hey, we rejected um, people for compensation, but that wasn't fine-tuned enough. So now you need the system to reflect, well, we rejected this person because base compensation was too high. Bonus compensation was too high. Like expectations were too high. Equity was too high. Total compensation, so the whole package was too high. But then we have to go back and that person who's covering the systems now has to go back to the programs person who might be designing your interviewer skills training, doing your recruiter enablement. Um, and I think one of the people who's doing a great job with sort of helping with that recruiter enablement is uh, Adam Gordon, the Poetry HR team. Fantastic tool. Highly recommended. People give it a look, give it a whirl. Um, it's still free to test right now, which is also another reason to give it a give it a whirl. But we need to be able, the systems person needs to go back to the to the programs person and say, okay, 
when you're training the new, when you're training the recruiters or you're training other people who are going to be interacting with the system and are going to be doing the rejection reasons, make sure that you teach them you don't just use total compensation. Or if you're a recruiter and the candidate comes back to you and says, hey, you know what? I'm not, I'm pulling out of this process. Ask the why question. Don't just sort of be like, well, the candidate pulled out of the process. Take it a step deeper. Get us that data so that we can start to build those things. But that's a really good example of sort of figuring out the lanes where people are are, are moving. And as that director of TA, you're then able to sort of go, here are my pieces on this chessboard. Let's start making sure that everybody is where they need to be, where we're positioning ourselves for success. This episode of How We Interview is brought to you by Riembi. You understand the importance of maximizing your team's efficiency. Instead of having your recruiters or coordinators spend time with expense reports to reimburse candidates for interview expenses, automate the process with Riembi. Riembi streamlines the reimbursement process, ensuring your candidates receive their reimbursement quickly and accurately. Your team can focus on other essential aspects of the hiring process by eliminating reimbursement tasks from their workload. Automating reimbursements is a significant improvement to the candidate experience. No more dealing with spreadsheets, attaching receipts to emails, or waiting weeks to receive the payout. With Reambi, the reimbursement payout to your candidates is sent the same day expenses are approved. To learn more about how Reambi can help your team, visit Reambi.com. That's Reambi, R-E-I-M-B-I.com. Yeah, it's really easy in recruiting to get folks. I mean, as a recruiter, right? And we talked about this a little bit in our in our pre-call, you know, as a recruiter, you're very focused on how you perform that day, that week, that month, that quarter, that year. You're only as good as your last whatever time period was. And it's really easy to get so focused on the now that you you don't focus on the bigger picture, how inefficient your team may or may not be, what you could do to help do these things that maybe aren't a quick win, will not impact things today or next week or next month even. That's really where you need a solid rec ops person to come in and kind of curate a list of priorities that that are going to help make the team more efficient, make the team be able to scale in such a way they never could do without them. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with, I completely agree with you there. I think one of the things, especially kind of leaning into art, so how do we interview rec ops people? How do we lean into what we need out of this rec ops person is having a very good understanding about what your 30, 60, 90 expectations are out of this person, but also think about like a year from now, what has this person done? What has this person anticipated for you? Um, Because rec ops people come in a lot of different flavors and you get, you get people who are really, really good at the data side, especially if you're a smaller company, you're, you're looking to hire your data, your, your rec ops person. You can get people who are really, really good at data and really good at employment branding and really good at uh, programs. But if they're not good at the operations piece, and that's where you kind of really need this person right now, you're going to run into some issues. And there are certain things that can mask that you can put over as a recruiting operations person that can help you. Like, sure, maybe you're not the best data person, but you've got budget and you go out and you grab a tool like TalentWall, a tool like Equitable or a tool like Ashby Analytics, and you're able to now sort of prolong and push out that period piece. And now you sort of can spend a 
and I, I tell everybody this, I spend a half, I budget a half hour a day where I shut down like my, I shut down my phone, I shut down my Slack, I shut down everything and I spend a half hour learning. And that learning period is like, so I'm going to spend this half hour completely devoted to this topic. And then that way, when I get into a situation later on, I'm able to answer a question that I wasn't able to answer before. Mm-hmm. And I think that in terms of everything, what makes recruiting operations interviews really, really hard is that there is a lot of ambiguity in rec ops. Your job is basically to exist in the gray area of recruiting and business process and all of these things. Like you have this huge, diverse skill set, unless you're at a massive company that has like 25 rec ops people and each person is sort of covering a different avenue of the business. And you've got somebody overseeing, you know, you've got people in Europe and people in EMEA and people in, in APAC. And you're like, okay. And I realized I just said in Europe and in EMEA and those are the same thing. But you, you have people out in those spaces and you need to figure out how to move those pieces. But I think that what makes it hard is you get into these recruiting operations interviews and the team is very focused because maybe they don't have, maybe they're, they think they know what rec ops does because of how they've dealt with people or they're, you're, they have a rec ops person or had a rec ops person. Now you're kind of coming in as that second person. And, um, they know sort of your, I'll call it like a archetype. So maybe you're a builder or maybe you're a, uh, a maintainer or, or something of that variety where it's like, Hey, I'm somebody who always builds my resources. I come from like, Hey, I got to build all this. And then there are people who sort of are like, cool, I'm going to, I'm going to be an innovator. I'm just going to innovate on what's already there. Just hold the ship steady. I'm a, I'm a peacetime consigliere, um, kind of type versus your wartime consigliere. Um, but those, those are things is that when you get into interviewing, people are very focused on those small little pieces. And then somebody will come through in the interview process and sort of say, Hey, have you heard about ops? Like, I know you were focused very much on employer brand employment branding. I know you were focused on the data, but have you heard about this other operations thing? Because I can now formalize your employment branding. I can formalize your data as part of this ops pillar. And everybody goes, this is new. And because you haven't been asking those questions to the people before, you think that all of a sudden they can't do it. Mm -hmm. You can do it. You just weren't asked those questions. And that's become sort of a, a thing that I've noticed. I've heard from other people where they say, yeah, I got to the final rounds of this interview. And they said to, to me, oh, we're moving forward uh, with uh, somebody else. And I got feedback back and they said, well, you know, uh, we're really looking for somebody who has more knowledge of data analytics. And then I go, oh, well, did you talk about data analytics? And they go, no, they asked me two questions about data analytics in my entire interview process. How was I supposed to know data analytics was something that was important to them? Should I always? And then then you go through this huge retrospective in your own thing for your interviewing because you're like, oh, shoot, now should I always be mentioning some data piece? And you kind of are like feeling it out to sort of say like, hey, I can do this. I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. 
And it's just, it, it can be exhausting. So it's like, what questions can you prepare people for interviewing for recruiting operations roles? What can you do? What questions do the recruiting operations people ask the team to sort of say like, hey, do we have the right definition? Are we speaking the same language mm-hmm. uh, to really maximize and show that they're actually a really good candidate? Yeah, and getting getting back to how we interview, which is the whole point of this podcast, right? Uh, um, a, a really buttoned up rec ops team will ensure that your candidate experience is equitable, it's transparent. There's no gotchas anywhere in the process. And, and at the end of the day, I, I use this all the time, the punishment fits the crime. Like what you read in the JD is really the job and those are the skills that they were assessing for. And, and I think if there's any way to kind of tell if somebody's got their rec ops on lockdown, that's really the best way to do it. Um, you know, at every step of the way, there's no surprises. There's no wild divergence of path. That it's really, it's predictable, I guess, is, is, is the best way I can come up with it. One of the beautiful things about recruiting operations is you are there to make it so that everything is happening in a do mode. And even when you are being a strategic partner and you're helping people get better and you're helping companies build out their recruiting functions or or helping the recruiting operations functions get better, it's focused on what can I take away to make people focus so they can just do. Because the minute you start thinking, that's when things start to get fuzzy. So going back to the rejection reasons, it's like, what do I have to do to make sure that the rejection reason matches what this person has actually said? Because if there's any ambiguity there, you immediately know that your data might not be the best. Now you're starting to estimate your data and your data should never be an estimation. It should be a, <laughs> like a fine thing. Yeah, absolutely. It should be the thing that helps you out. Um so that's kind of where where I sit, where I where I tell people is like, rec ops can help you, but you kind of have to know where you need that help, how you want that help. And again, what does that help look like? Because every company is different. The rec ops playbook is not, hey, I'm going to show up and roll out the same ATS that I've always rolled out, the same tools that I've always rolled out, the same process that I've always rolled out, because that's not going to work. Not every company is going to be a company that will take a bar raiser program and run with it and be effective at it. Doesn't mean that it can't exist, but it means you have to work to find the style of where that fits. So if you've always been at a, at a company, like I, I love to say rec ops starts with why. It's a why question environment. It's like, why you, why this, why now? But it's always a general why question because you have to understand how your company arrived to the point where they're at. You have to understand why you need to make that change, why you are the person to make that change. And also just what's the history? Mm -hmm. Because if somebody already tried to do the thing that you are now trying to do, what do you, why did it fail the first time? And if you don't know those things and you don't have a good retrospective culture in terms of like written retros, you're going to run into problems in rec ops and you're going to run into the problems in interviewing. I mean, going back to it, part of the reason for structured interviewing beyond the fact that it shows really good benefits by asking everybody the same exact question and it's you should be getting good indicators. It's, it's It makes it math. It makes it the scientific method. It makes it work. 
you know, going back to things we learned in school that we're like, oh, we're going to use this again. I tell people all the time, it's like RecOps is, use, is using the scientific method constantly. But like the whole point of structured interviewing is let's get efficient. Let's find what's important and let's focus on these elements and let's not make people try to think of that next question while they're having it so that we get, uh, you know, you walk in and you go, okay, these are the questions I'm going to ask. This is what the hiring team is looking for. Ask these questions. Easy enough. And if you need more clarity, then you just simply say to the candidate, hey, can you expand on it? Yeah. And the candidate goes, okay, cool. And I got this, I got this question. I keep it at my desk for now uh, for everything. Big shout out to uh, Marissa Pryor over at Netflix for, for giving me this question. I think it's brilliant, which is as a candidate, just simply asking after the end of a long question, you know, does this demonstrate what you're looking for? Mm. That's a huge question that tells you, you know, okay, did I hit my star number? Did I, did I do my star method of answering or did I even touch what you were trying to do? And if I didn't touch what I was trying, what you were, what you wanted out of my answer, well, let me expand on it more or not expand on it more, but maybe offer up something to you in writing afterwards that sort of says like, okay, you know what, here's what I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe not you because you're way smarter than me, but I've been in interviews where I'm like, I, I am I am missing the mark at every turn in this interview. Like I, it's almost like the interview and I are speaking two different languages, which is never a good place to be. Oh, I tell people all people people always think I'm a lot smarter than I really am. Uh, uh, I think, own it. It's a good thing. I, <laughs> I think that uh, I, I I always love to uh, quote David Sedaris's title of uh, the book "Me Talk Pretty" one day. Uh, I think that it, there's just. Uh, I've I've missed the mark. I will a hundred percent tell people I'm probably not the best interviewer, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm very very real about that. And that's because, you know, hey, look, we all get nervous. I've got my pump up list, I a playlist that I, I go through. I go through the sort of mental, uh, mental modeling that you're supposed to go through before you interview. Uh, and there are just some days where I feel like I've hit all of my marks. I'm feeling really good about it. And there are some days where it's like, I think back to my, when I was doing ballet in, in high school, and I'm like, man, I did not, I didn't get to my spot. I didn't do this turn right. I didn't know the choreography. This person was, was going this way. I was going this way and, and you miss. And I think that's the other thing too, is I, I go through after every interview that I do and I write down, what did I think I did well? What do I think I need to improve on? And I think that in turn, that's made me an okay interviewer, but I still struggle feeling like, hey, I delivered exactly the answer that I feel like portrayed me in the best light and gave the, and and was that. And I think the other thing too, when I interview, uh, and I wrote a whole article on kind of the difference between transparency, honesty, and authenticity is... I'm always trying to be authentic for who I am because I just don't want people to think that there's this version of me that's performative for the interviews and now they get there and they work with me and I'm a totally different person. And that's, I just don't think that that would make me the authentic human being. And just to kind of clue people in on, on that, 
mean, transparency, you can be transparent and not be honest. Transparency doesn't mean that you're being honest. And they're oftentimes used synonymously. You can be honest and not be transparent. But you can't be authentic if you're not both transparent and honest. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work like that. You can't have an uneven balance. And I think that's why, you know, I spend a lot of time focusing on words <laughs> and how precise words are. And I think a lot of people are now also being very precise on words because I think we started to see you start using a chat GPT or LLM, especially in English. English is a precision language. We've got like 300,000 plus words mm -hmm. in, our, in our lexicon. Um, there is a very, very different outcome that you will get just simply by swapping words out that will tell you an entirely different thing. And I, I did a post on this, which was like, what's the difference when you use the word love? Uh, I, I didn't use it about love. I used it about a different topic, but it's like, you could say something that you, you love something, but if you use adore, um, if you say partner instead of paramour, you know, those have very, they, they're similar, mm. but you're going to get a different outcome out of these things that are focused on the word choice that you're using to prompt it. So you got to think through all those, all those things. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Um, I'm going to shift gears because this is something I've been thinking about a lot and I know you have an opinion. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> One of the things about the industry that concerns me, and we talked about this in 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 our pre-call a little bit, is teams aren't staffed. Recruiting teams are not staffed like they were in 2021, 2022. Yep. Um, there may be fewer jobs posted, mm -hmm. but there's not as many resources to go around. There's not as much money. Um, mm -hmm. People are contracting everything they can do as, as we get through this, this down cycle. The thing I'm seeing or the thing that concerns me for this industry, for the industry that we both love and adore so damn much is, is I don't feel like anybody's building now. I just feel like they're just holding down the fort until the next up cycle. My fear is when we get into the next up cycle, nobody's going to be prepared to be able to scale back upwards because all they've done was just try to survive the spot we're in. I'd love to hear what you think about that. And if like a director or senior director of VP of talent acquisitions listening to this, what kinds of things should they be focusing on now to build for that next up cycle? Let me answer that first part of that question. So are people sort of staffing back? What do you see where are, with are, are people going to staff back up? Are people going to... Um, how are people viewing that? I think what we're seeing right now in the space, which is very fascinating, is tool consolidation. And I think part of that is a ease of use when you have everything that's automatically talking to one another, not that you need uh, something that breaks and it goes down. Like um, I know a couple of weeks ago, um, Workday work went down. Uh, and it wasn't like a, hey, there was, this was like an hour long outage. It was like a good half day outage. Um, and I talked to a lot of people I know who use Workday and it was like, oh my God. Um, and one of the things that happened was anything that you had connected to Workday broke. And so I think people are trying to make sure, now Workday does a fantastic job with having everything sort of in-house in a system, regardless of what people believe around Workday's ATS. But um, one of the things that's really fascinating is 
I think we're seeing a tool consolidation because people want everything to be in-house. They want to see everything up front. They don't necessarily want to have a number of point solutions. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing that with Dover. We're seeing Dover launching an ATS, Gem launching an ATS, Rippling launching an ATS. Uh, you saw it a couple of years back when you had Crosscheck buys talent wall. And now you have sort of a multi-solution there where you get your data analytics and you have uh, you know, this tool that's covering the back end of your process. It's really important too. Uh, you see it with Ashby starts out as an analytics tool, launches an ATS, very, very good, powerful ATS. I think one of the things we're going to see when things start to, if people start to hire again in the ways that they were doing at the end of 2021, and they're starting to scale back up again. One of the things that will be really interesting to see is have we learned that you don't throw people at a problem? You work on this system that has enabled things. And how do you make the system more efficient? So it's not, hey, we need to, we need to scale up and we need to hire a thousand people this year. We need automatically need a hundred plus recruiters. It's looking at the data and saying to ourselves, okay, let's be methodical about this. Do we have the right tools? Do we have the right training? Do we have the right process? And can we make people as efficient without burning themselves out? What does that data look like to us? And so I say to people, it's like, this is probably, I've been hearing mutters about this. This is the rise of recruiting operations because this is what we're here to do. And I hear people talking about like, this is the reason why we're seeing a lot of people throw rec ops on their, on their LinkedIn's or on their resumes, because it's like, we're trying to capitalize on, on the, on the trendiness of this versus the people who are like, Hey, I actually do this. And I, this is, this is, this is where I live. Welcome to my house. Welcome to the party. You're invited. Here's a hat. Here's some punch. Have some fun. Uh, the cake is not a lie. Um, but the, I think that's why we're we're starting to see more of this movement around that. I think AI is obviously doing a huge piece to that. So it's like, I think Alvin uh, Alan Bailey over at Smart Recruiters did a uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago where she said, "This is the rise of rec ops because you're going to see smaller recruiting teams, but you're going to see what happens when you have something running at maximum efficiency." And then anything you're stacking on top of that just is like, cool, this is a, this is going to pull, continue to move that factor up. And so that's the thing that I tell people is like, it's great to have a human solution, hire people if you can. Um, but the technology is changing. I think even today, Searchlight uh, launched uh, a new feature for themselves Uh a new AI that's going to help screen people in a very unique kind of way. Um, so what's that going to look like for people? Don't yeah, I, you, I think you've hit it on the head. And, and this is probably a, a good place to, to wrap up is, is I think the things that we've learned in the last three years, we don't need... And I almost wonder, like these massive recruiting teams, is it an ego thing? We don't need these these teams of hundreds and hundreds of recruiters. A real efficient system, uh, operational soundness will will really do away with the necessity to carry these massive teams, all this massive overhead, and you can still meet the hiring needs of the organization. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that'll be really interesting to see in the next couple of years is 
or at least in the next year, maybe is how does recruiting remind people that it's not a revenue, it's not a cost center, but it's actually a revenue generator. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see is what does the hiring manager relationship look like in all this? Because I think there's a paradigm shift that needs to happen there. Um, And then also that's going to impact things like internal mobility. So I think we're going to start to see something really cool, especially with AI is, you know, I hear people talk a lot about skill-based hiring, because if you know how to use AI, you might be able to solve most of the problems. But I'm really interested to see, do teams build out a generalist population that moves project to project enabled by AI? And that's sort of how you start to move things. So it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, it's it's an amazing time to be in this space. I mean, it's it's been not without challenges, but it's an amazing time. And and like I said at the top, I want to thank you again for everything you're doing for the community, drawing attention to it. Uh, I think in a lot of cases, people don't know what to call it or what it is, or the fact that they even need it, and the fact that you're bringing it out front and forward has meant so much to not only myself, our peers, and the industry as a whole. Well. I, the thing I will throw out there, if people have made it this far, is thank you for everybody who's subscribed. Thank you for everybody who reads it. Also, thank you for everybody who contributes to it. I mean, it is a community-led piece. So if you have something you want to say, reach out to me. I'll talk to you about it. Uh, I want to talk to you about it because everybody's bringing a different perspective. And I think the biggest thing that will help recruiting operations going forward is, do we develop the standard or does somebody else develop the standard for us? And if we don't sort of take a um, agilist, agile manifesto and define it ourselves, then we are in effect doing ourselves a disservice to, because somebody else is going to define it for us. And it's not necessarily going to be the thing that we agree with. It's going to be the thing that fits them and their needs and their design. And I think that that is something recruiting operations needs to needs to also sort of put a put a stake in the ground and say, like, look, we're not coordinator plus. We are a thing. We are here to stay. And these are how we define what we do. Um, and if it goes outside of that, having the power to say, look, we need help here because this isn't what we do by design. And how do we build and solve yeah, that's awesome. What's the best way you, you mentioned connecting? What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, it's Jeremy A. Lyons. Uh, and uh, you can email me, jeremy at recopscollective.com. Uh, um, and uh, if you're really, really nice, I will give you my uh, my cell phone number and <laughs> we can become uh, we can become texting friends. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Appreciate you. Appreciate you too. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How We Interview podcast brought to you by Riambi. Head to our website at howweinterview.com to find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Leaving us a rating and review also helps us reach more listeners interested in learning from other talent acquisition professionals.